Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening and welcome. Lori and I are trying something new to try and make compliance a little bit more palatable. This is an educational podcast of sorts that will help you, hopefully, better understand your compliance obligations. We hope you'll enjoy these additional materials. And as always, if you're one of our ongoing comprehensive clients, don't hesitate to reach out with your questions because at Advisor Compliance Services, we love to talk compliance. Hey, everybody. Welcome back for another one. Uh, you get to hang out with Lori and me today. Lori's going to talk about the best execution review that will be coming your way. And this is going to help you kind of navigate that review and complete that checklist so that you can get it sorted out. Lori, you want to take it away? Oh, absolutely. Thank you, Scott. So yeah, today we're going to spend a few minutes talking about best execution. And to start with, why we talk about this is because as a fiduciary, when you have the responsibility to select the custodian for your client's account, part of your fiduciary obligation is best execution. And if you had received and, and remember some of the writings that I did some years ago in our compliance update, talking about the SEC's release of guidance as to what entails a RIA's obligation to retail clients. One of those, as they broke it down into a duty of care and a duty of loyalty, one of the parts of the duty of care includes best execution. So that's where this is rooted in. And also, remember, we have the DOL PTE, the prohibited transaction exemption 2020-02 that went into effect this year. You'll notice that as part of that exemptions, the impartial conduct standards includes best execution. So now we have it in the Department of Labor, in addition to where it resides as part of the fiduciary obligation under the securities laws. So you do have this best execution, but to me, and this is just my opinion a little bit, is what we have now in the reality of custodians serving the retail space is there has been in years, a consolidation. We used to have Scott Trade, and now we're even losing uh, TD Ameritrade next year to the acquisition of it by Schwab. So there's a, a continuing shrinking of the available custodians out there. And the question becomes then, what is the best execution obligation for advisors of your size to your clients when there aren't a, a lot of custodians to choose from. So taking that though, you do have still this obligation to understand where the real investment costs that clients face through the selected custodian, because nobody works for free. You know, when Schwab came out some years ago with transaction free execution, where did they make that money up? Because Schwab's not working for free. So I think to me, where it becomes important for advisors of our of your size and of our clients is to understand where is the money coming from that your clients are paying for in their execution? Because they are. Is it pay-to-play shelf space arrangement? Is it payment for order flow or is it from earning a return on the spread of the client's cash positions? That was an issue with Schwab. 
So I think it's important in your overall review of best execution is that you understand the real investment costs that your clients are paying. And then based on that, you have a reasonable basis to believe that the overall execution services are in your client's best interests. So to break this down a little bit more granular, there unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, there is no statutory definition for best execution. What the SEC has generally given it as a meaning is execution of securities transactions for clients in such a manner that the client's total cost of proceeds in each transaction is most favorable under the circumstances. So total cost. So important to note, this does not mean the cheapest. So if your clients are paying execution prices that are maybe less favorable than at other custodians, that does not in and of itself mean that they aren't getting best execution. Rather, there's other factors to consider which form the basis of the evaluation for overall execution and broker quality. So again, we're looking at quality and overall execution, not just pricing alone. But it is important that you do understand the pricing. And so as part of the review, we provide you with order execution quality report links for three custodians for comparison for trade execution costs and spreads. So you should go use those links and find that information and understand what it is that the prices are at custodians beyond the ones that you are using for your clients. That is an important aspect to understand as far as overall best execution obligation and the transaction costs. But interesting enough, and this is not new, this was back in 2018, and so you've heard us and me speak on this in prior annual compliance trainings. I've added it into the compliance updates. And what I'm referring to is this mutual fund share class review that started in 2018. And what was occurring is the SEC was looking at advisors, particularly those that were receiving 12B1 fees, and seeing if the client's mutual fund holdings were in the the least expensive or cheapest share class. And if they weren't, then that became a deficiency and led to, and many times, an enforcement action, or at least the repayment of those uh, additional fees that the client incurred. That did not stop at those advisors that were dual registrants or and accepting 12B1 fees. They expanded that review and that initiative to all advisors. So you can be assured that as a part of this continuing share class review, the SEC examiner, when they come in, they're going to look at your client's holdings in the mutual funds, and they're going to determine if that is the cheapest share class for that particular mutual fund. And if it's not, then you're going to have to explain to the examiner why, even though it's not, it's still in the client's best interest. So where the SEC is is leading you all to is very process focused. What they want you to do is develop a process for selecting the appropriate 
mutual fund share class to begin with, and then also ensure that is reviewed on a periodic basis. And if things have changed, then of course, then there's changes made to the holding. So for example, the process could include a determination, the share classes of a particular mutual fund that are approved for use and establish the criteria to select the appropriate share class. So you can do that ahead of time. The criteria if you do so, should be documented in a policy and procedure and incorporated into the firm's compliance manual. So look to see if the policies and procedures that we have for you reflect that particular area and those cheapest share classes. I will tell you that it does, but make sure that you understand where that can be found. Also, if you have a firm whereby individual IARs oversee their particular client's portfolios, make sure that this policy and procedures are communicated to the IARs. So you want to make sure that there's training on how to select and document the choice of mutual fund share classes for each client. Now, also as a part of that, so that is all well and good for when the initial selection of the mutual fund is made. But then we also need to make sure that we do some forensic testing to ensure that, yes, indeed, we have followed our own policies and procedures. So make sure that a compliance officer or another person is responsible for performing a periodic review of the mutual fund holdings. So that's what we're urging you to do today as part of this review is to go through Take a sampling of clients with mutual fund, make sure and document that the mutual fund share class is in the lowest cost. If it is not, make sure that you have a reason documented for why it isn't and that it's still in the client's best interest. You know, maybe they came in with a holding and in order to convert it to a cheaper share class may create a taxable consequence. Uh, whatever that may be. Maybe they don't want you to change it. Whatever it, it is, just make sure that you have a position to defend to an examiner by which they question in a situation whereby the client is not holding the cheapest share class in a mutual fund. Because if they aren't and you don't have a reasonable basis for that, then definitely on exam, you will be faced with calculating the excess cost that that client incurred and will be responsible for paying that client back those those fees. And depending on how long of a time that has and how many clients, you can imagine for some, that can be a very costly mistake. And I will tell you that the SEC has made examples of some folks and has taken some of this to enforcement action. So it behooves everybody to make this effort into determining in a forensic testing manner that their client's holdings are in the cheapest mutual fund share class in order to satisfy this SEC's initiative. If, and if nothing else, really I was, <clears throat> was going to say, Lori, if nothing else, it's worth it just to avoid having to figure out how to do the math problem with all the statutory kind of interest and stuff that get, gets baked in at the end of that, too. That's just unpleasant. 
in and of itself. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yes, exactly. How do you determine the harm and how far you go back? And mm-hmm. yes, that's uh and then again, you have a an examiner set of eyes that you'll need to pass muster. So mm-hmm. much, much easier to do it on the front end and <laughs> save yourself the trouble. Certainly is. Yeah, I think it, you know, that probably about wraps it up. I wanted to have something interesting to say at the end of this, but you pretty much said everything that I was already thinking. So there's no reason for anyone to have to listen to me talk any longer. Uh, I appreciate everybody. It's best execution. So there really isn't all that interesting (laughs) to speak on. So It's true. It's absolutely true. So thanks everybody for listening in. And uh, we'll be back again with another installment of exciting compliance things for podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Yep. Take care.